I mean, this is a tournament that feeds into nothing, right? So. Yeah, but it'd be cool to be an invitational champion. So, you know, I'm going to try to win it. Okay. The and invitational like, always leads into nothing. I guess for, for, for like one period of time, it gave like an enormous amount of points towards the next season, but then they changed that. Well, I'm kind of more about like losing day one so I can just cube all day two. And winning would really put a hamper on that. <laughs> yeah, but I can cube at home. I can't win an invitational at home. But I can't cube at home with people not at home. Do I really want to cube with strangers that badly? Like, not really. Well, they would be stranger strangers. It'd be like Zach Allen and stuff. That I mean, sure, yeah, for, absolutely. Yeah, I guess they're probably not doing actual cube side events at this one, right? That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about just actually cubing. Yeah. Yeah, like actually cubing. Okay, fair. Grassroots. <laughs> the existence of the cube side events at the previous invitationals, you know, through me. But yes, that does make sense. Also... We went through hell together in the snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Those eight people I cubed with were strangers at the beginning of the day, but <laughs> at the end. I was there too. Not, yeah. not playing in the cube championship, just hanging out, eating leftover pizza. That was enough. That's like my favorite tournament, I think. It actually was like kind of fun to be there when there was just no yeah. reason for us to be there and we were just like chilling and like pie gowing and stuff while you guys were cubing i got to a, a riffle shuffle power accidentally it was great mm-hmm. very fun <laughs> whoops no one caught me it's fine <laughs> i stopped immediately mm-hmm. and i parnell probably doesn't listen to this cast so i know it wasn't his cards but well starcitygames.com anonymous i was just joking it didn't happen i don't we don't have any narcs in our audience our audience is cool this is no narcs here and they can't prove anything yeah i was just making it up for like tough guy internet points yeah of course definitely tough to accidentally shuffle a deck with power and then realizing oh man shouldn't have done that probably Mm, they asked us to do this not to do this (laughs) Mm. guess i'll stop (laughs) very tough like do i even ripple shuffle normally who can say Hey everyone, welcome to episode 214 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Caster-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Did you did you remember till just now? I thought of it, but I didn't do the thing. <laughs> See, I was wondering if you would remember uh, I'll, to not I'll introduce me. Surprise you with it at some point. See <laughs> see what the the air gap is between me putting it down and you picking it up. Well, in podcast time, it'll be shorter, right? Because you'll edit it out, so I'll look really smart. Well, no, because I leave the pauses in there if they, like, have a timing effect that's important. Okay, that's that's fair. But no, not this time. I'm, I'm Lee. Hi. Listen, I'm a, I, <laughs> editing is a storytelling art. You have to understand narrative flow. So, you know, you don't want to just, like, cut things willy-nilly for no reason. Uh, let me close my door so there's less narrative flow into the stairway. <laughs> that makes sense. So, I think what we're going to focus on today, um, a friend of mine and I are going have decided to really prep for this invitational. I was like, kind of borderline on even going 
even after they announced the vaccine requirement. And I probably wasn't going to put in a ton of time just because I wasn't necessarily feeling it. And it's not part of like, because I'm like really out of the cycle of prepping for tournaments. It's just not really a thing that I have done. It hasn't happened for like two years. Yeah. But my friend got in touch. He was excited about it. And that was a little bit infectious. So I am excited to just like have a partner to prep for a tournament with. And we are going to work really hard. And so this episode, I think, is going to be kind of like just a sort of foundational starting point kind of thing for standard and modern. You know, we're going to talk about like what's going on in the formats right now and like where we want to start our exploration and where we think the most fruitful avenues of like testing and figuring things out are going to be and just kind of like what the first steps in our our testing process are going to be from here yeah and i think this was probably going to be at least this episode mostly focused on standard because modern is not really changed that much other than some like faithless mending decks here and there right Uh, it's mostly the same stuff from modern horizons too and and I mean the reemergence of like old decks that got like crushed under the popularity of Modern Horizons too, but actually like attack the format in ways that are are fine, even given the existence of Modern Horizon two cards. The the most recent modern development is probably just that like oh Burn and Tron are actually fine. We were stupid for not playing, not continuing to just play these decks like we have for a decade. Yeah, I think the Saturday challenge had three burn decks in the top eight. Mm-hmm. And I was just, it was the most of a deck in the top eight. I'm like, all right, yep, you could still do this. You always have been able to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not fancy. The newest card is uh... Alurus, maybe. Well, yeah, if they're even doing that, which sometimes they aren't for two, some reason. Two out of three of them were. Because <laughs> they're labeled. Well, I, don't, I don't know who does the like stat running, but they like labeling companions. And I love looking at the burn companions because of the the hot button issue of whether you're supposed to have one. I think skewer the critics skewer the critics is the most recent like actual change to that deck, and that's a while ago at this point. So, but yeah, we should talk about standard first. We certainly talked about it a bunch last week, but a bunch has happened in the meantime. You pointed. What's up? It was, it was roiling vortex. That's the card. Oh, right. Because Burn plays that all the time now. That's true. And I still need to get those so I can have an updated Burn deck behind me. They're like less than a dollar. It's very easy. Well, I know, but they're not findable like locally or anything. I need to actually order them. Anyway, I I interrupted you by pointing. Keep going. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. So to standard, you know, we talked about this a bunch last week, but, you know, it's a brand new format. So a lot of things happen. One of the things that I and and so we're just going to, you know, go over latest developments and I'm going to kind of talk about the packages that I think are uh, kind of here to stay and things that are good to kind of know about for your testing process and for your deck building, because there's a lot of ways to like combine these little packages into different decks but there's like cores that are really important to move from build to build and i think that's gonna stay true for a lot of the format uh there is worlds in between now and the invitational happening which will definitely influence some things but uh you know the hive mind is pretty good at picking out like this is playable stuff at least you know gets like 80 percent of the way there and then just misses just got mutate forever well that's also 
like some consequence of the platform you play on right yeah it's really cumbersome to do just guy mutate stuff sure like i don't i i honestly do not understand how sifka and them came up with the first kethos combos in the arena open like that's that to <laughs> me is just mind-boggling yeah i mean it's a real barrier when you can't just shortcut things for sure yeah as far as this standard goes no just guy mutate type deck yet no kethos type deck yet uh in fact mono green aggro is <laughs> sort of the baseline deck of the format i think the entire top four of the saturday challenge was mono green aggro and then not quite as deep in the sunday challenge but it did also win the sunday challenge so do not sleep on old growth troll yeah that that was a card I really liked in the, when we were previewing it, right? Yeah. If Mono Green was ever going to be playable, it's going to be a great card in it. Yeah. It's kind of true still. There, there you are. Does a lot. I mean, you have places to put your mana. They have to kill the 4-4. Like, the 4-4 will kill them. If they don't, then you have places to put the mana. And then it makes a 4-4 token. If you're going long, you have 4-4s to copy with a Seekers Chariot. Like, with Trample. The token tramples. Yeah. Yeah. Card is just very good. And the trample comes up a lot since I know this first place list is playing on natural growth, which is the the five mana enchantment that's quad green that doubles all your stats when you're combat. Yes. And the winning lists in the Sunday challenge played that as well. So, you know, there's something to it. Unless I'm wrong here, but I think it No, did. you're right. I'm okay. looking at it. Yeah. Four on natural growth. Don't leave home without it, apparently. Apparently. I I mean I think it's less don't leave home without it and more that like People are packing shatters for Asika's chariots, but not naturalizes that can take this thing out. And it's like also a symbol that there's a certain amount of the metagame that's just going for stats on board and trying to like cast Storm the Festival as its way of like going over <laughs> yeah. the top. If you double the size of your already pretty big creatures, like the the Renin 7 token being a 7 7 doesn't matter if all your stuff is like 10 10s. Yeah, your trolls are 8-8s with trample. Right. Like, good luck. Yeah. You're going to have to do some double blocking to prevent yourself from just dying, and then you don't have a board anymore. And and you're also running a ranger class. So your plus one, plus mm -hmm. one counters are plus two, plus two counters when you're doubling them. And your creatures are just genuinely enormous. That's why I like the Outland Liberator. It's a werewolf that's like a uh, Kazali Pride Mage. Mm -hmm. And on the backside, it's just Dragon Predator, I believe. Yeah. Or maybe it's more like Kokla, where it just kills it when it attacks. It's, However, it works. Yes, it's a it's an attack trigger. It's really good. Yeah, it, that card is really important if people are just packing. A Seeker's Chariot's a given, right? And then if they're also packing these Ranger classes and a Natural Growth, it attacks enchantments too. So I really like that. There's a white one too. If you're playing white, it's uh, Cathark Mando. I think the name of this is three one flash creature. Yeah, not uh, quite as much upside, too. but still pretty no, good. Of course not. Well, I mean, it's not an Estrad human hunt or whatever. So the werewolf version is better. Uh, I was watching a stream today where somebody, I don't remember who I was watching, but they sideboarded Outland Liberator and Modern and brought it in against Hammer Time where it was just like the best sideboard card. One of the best sideboard cards I've ever seen. Like, like it, it just flipped and then is working the board and the whole time, as long as you have one mana up, they can't really kill you with a Colossus Hammer. So it just... Yeah, because it keeps the Castalli Fred Mage on the back. Right. Which is kind of crazy. Right. So it's kind of this, like... 
Relic of Progenitus versus the Graveyard Deck effect, where it's like squeezing all of their resources over the course of the game and also stopping them from just like straight up going for it. Like it was gnarly in that matchup. Uh, but I do think it is just a pretty good way of getting a disenchant effect into your deck. And there's like a lot of decent enchantments like Felidar Retreat as well is, is seeing a lot of play. Um, so there's plenty of stuff to disenchant in this format. The Mono Green deck just kind of surprised me because it is honestly kind of a front runner, like a side front runner for me, mm -hmm. uh, just because the deck is dirt cheap and still effective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, with, with the Invitational being standard and I don't have any standard cards because why would I? Right. Like in paper. Uh, that's kind of appealing, even though I like desperately want to play with the All Runs Epiphany deck because I just like doing that stuff. Yeah, kind of nice to buy the $200 deck and not the $450 deck when you just have to yeah. shell out. Right. I mean, at least I already own the lands, so that's fine. Unless these deck play Snarls, I haven't looked. Please don't play Snarls. Anyway. <laughs> well, that is kind of the beauty of the monocolored decks in general. You just get your snow-covered basics in there, and you get your four faceless havens, which is, you know... We got a lot of creature lands in the standard, but Faceless Haven is still quite a bit better than all the rest of them. <laughs> Even in the uh, the blue-red deck that got second in the Sunday Challenge, it has a Faceless Haven in it. It's a dual-color deck with, I guess, what, 18 snow lands? Yeah, I mean, the, the enemy-color decks just kind of get snow it for free if you're making yourself do enemy-colored, because the snow duels are no worse than Snarl's like let's be real so you might as well be snow have faceless havens and obviously the the blue red decks want frostbites anyways so yeah really bringing me back to the the pv meme about snarls and guild gates they're the same thing <laughs> they are except that with guild gates you could at least like they had some synergies snarls just don't even have those yeah snarls only have pretend synergies <laughs> that never materialize like a Ravnica Allegiance draft gone horribly wrong. It is not fun to play with Snarls. So, you know, the, the metagame is in a couple of broad categories. Monogreen Agar, I think, is really well, or at least was really well positioned this weekend because it walked a nice line where it is quick enough and it hits hard enough that a lot of a lot of the decks that are focusing on getting on board as hard as possible and going over the top of each other, especially with uh, Storm the Festival, they aren't. They can certainly match up just fine against Mono Green. They can beat it, but Mono Green both can get under them, and the versions with a natural growth can just like straight up go punch for punch with them, uh, and also decks that are set up to beat the go over the top on the board decks because uh, we're not worried about permanence, we're playing All Runs Epiphany in the blue-red decks, and the mono-green aggro decks can often, you know, outsize their removal, punch through in the quick in the early game, and put on a quick clock. And so mono-green aggro kind of positioned against both of those poles of the metagame. Yeah, and I don't think that'll be true, like, come Invitational Weekend, because mm -mm. I expect more and more of the format will get kind of boiled down and turned through. Like... I the decks right now are not super complex. Like we're mostly just seeing a mono green aggro decks, a mono white decks, various versions of like ramp or Alrun's Epiphany decks. Mm -hmm. But they're all kind of like pretty simple. 
we're not really reaching into the what are some synergies we forgot from Kaldheim or Strixhaven or whatever. Right. Because people are just playing like, oh, this is the strongest card in the set. We'll try to figure a shell, like a generic shell around it. And that's those decks are good. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, uh, I think as the format develops, we'll get more of that kind of fleshed out and be less, oh, here's generic good card and generic good strategy kind of deal. I just have to, I, like I, I put this as a thing to talk about, like maybe towards the end of talking about standard, but I, I just, Storm the Festival is not going to be a good card for very long in standard i don't believe and certainly not once standard gets bigger but even as the standard develops i just like i haven't been particularly impressed with that card anyways and i think it's just going to keep getting worse and worse like it's not what you want against the all runs epiphany decks it's not what you want against the blood on the snow decks like all it is is when you have two big green decks and you're trying to be bigger than each other then you slam storm the festival and hope that it gets you bigger stuff than them yeah and that's I, I don't like it for i i'm kind of higher on storm the festival as a playable magic card but the problem with it is just that it it doesn't do anything like it doesn't have a role that it serves mm-hmm. like if you want to go big over other decks you should just play blood on the snow or all run spiffany like some giant spell that just does your thing better like anytime a time warp is in the format there's like a a pretty hard limit on the upper bound of things you can do yeah and alden's epiphany is like you know alden's epiphany plus gold spin dragon or whatever you're putting it in it's just going to end the game in like two turns and you have those turns so trying to storm the festival in the face of that is like what are you trying to be essentially right and i i just can't imagine that it stays good as the format actually develops and people take it seriously and the odds of me having storm the festival in my deck at the invitational where people are trying hard and playing for thousands of dollars or or the odds of me seeing somebody with storm the festival in their deck and thinking oh this person knows what they're doing i are just like really really low i I think that card would be playable in a different format but because you have those huge splashy effects in this one there's like no reason for it that's kind of i don't i don't think it's a bad card on its own merits because i played with ulvenwald hydra when (laughs) Uh, Aetherworks Marvel was illegal, right? Sure. Because it was like a bridge card. And that's kind of where I put Storm the Festival in. But there's time warp in this format. Well, and it's it's not only that, too. It's just like if people actually start like going under in meaningful ways. Like imagine if like one of these Del- you know, Zan's been working really hard on Delver. Imagine if Delver Too hard. is good. But yes, but you know, Zan's going to do that. But like imagine that Zel- that Delver is playable. And then you have Storm the Festival in your deck against a standard Delver deck. That's not where you want to be. So any anything that's doing tempo stuff, anything that's getting under, like you can't load it up your deck up with these situational six mana cards that only add stuff to the board and like don't have any flexibility. And you're just at the mercy of the top five cards of your deck. When you, I'm just, I do not want to cast that spell ever. <laughs> I no, I'm not. I'm not planning on it. There's just better things to do in the ramp colors mm-hmm. like even if you don't want to be time walk you could just be green and do other stuff though honestly like if you're ramping you probably should time walk or at least do the felidar retreat thing yeah like i i posted a list uh so this is batutna's top eight list from the mm, sunday challenge uh and like this is a way 
to ramp that I, you know, there's a, a bunch of these Selesnia Storm the Festival decks just like here and there in the challenge results. This deck from Batutna actually makes sense to me. This is Bant Ramp, and you are ramping with Prosperous Innkeeper, Root Coil Creeper, Tangled Florahedron. Your big spells are three Comas, four Renin Seven. Uh, you have three Memories Illusions to keep you going, and two All Runs Epiphanies. And then your bridge cards are four Seekers Chariots and four Felidar Retreats. And, you know, this deck's not like wasting time with goofy stuff. It's not like letting itself be a victim of variance. Like it's casting the big things that Batutna thinks are good in this format, which are Coma and All Runs Epiphany. And then it's using like Memory Deluge to help make that as consistent as possible. Yeah, and I, I like this list because it's just nice and clean. You also got sixth at the... Oh, this is the same. This is the deck you, put, you posted. Yeah. There there were more copycats in the, the other challenge. Okay. Uh, that he inspired. Sure. Or I guess maybe they were working from a similar source. Yeah, I, I don't know if this came from Batutna in particular or if uh, he... I, I don't know exactly where it came from, but I grabbed it because, you know, strong player playing a deck that I, I think I respect, so... Also, just a note, uh, this deck is playing for Fateful Absence as its removal spell. And while I did tweet kind of tongue-in-cheekily, don't <laughs> play Fateful Absence and Memory Delusion the same deck, that tweet was a result of me playing against a bunch of blue-white control decks that their endgame was just like f four Memory Delusions and nothing else. Yeah. And then they cast Fateful Absences against me that allowed me to just keep up with them on cards and beat them eventually so don't do that if that's your plan but you can faithful absent somebody if you're going to cast a coma cosmos serpent that's fine i'm okay with that i also see a a bant ramp deck that went a different direction i like platoon house better because i think i think your turn three be chariot or fellow retreat is just really solid yeah. in general yeah yeah like it's very consistent to do that uh, but this bant deck in ninth place is a Teferi who slows the sunset plus, plus the Celestis uh, kind of ramp control. And you're, you've still got the root coil creepers, but you're really trying to get like Tovlar's Huntmaster going oh. with your Teferi engine. I... It's a pretty sweet deck list. Yeah, okay. That... It's a lot more controlly than rampy. I mean, it, it sounds sweet and it sounds fun, but I, I kind of don't want any nonsense if I'm already dealing with the nonsense of I need to draw ramp creatures, ramp spells and things to ramp into. But yeah, I, I, I see where that's going. I do like the synergy between Teferi and the Celestis. Just like an untappable mana source. And the Celestis is also a mana rock that gives you card selection and life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, it is cute. Uh, the three mana mana rock though. I, I, I know it, it seems to deck to me like as long as, this is the small standard you can get away with it because mm -hmm. people's decks aren't powerful enough to like overpower it yet. Yeah. But it, it, I imagine it'll fall off really soon. I don't think this is, I, like I said, I like Batoon House deck much, much better because the turn three consistently powerful four drop is just what I want. I don't want to like play Teferi, not have the Celestis look at my like Rock Coil Griefer and it's tapped in front of my Teferi and be like, well, guess I'm untapping you, buddy. But what are you going to do, Block? <laughs> yeah, the one of the interesting things about this format, and so I think a lesson that the prevalence of prosperous innkeepers is teaching us, 
Like, there are all these decks playing Prosperous Innkeeper where it's, like, barely more than a Lotus Petal. Like, it's a Lotus Petal and a Chump Block, and it doesn't really do that much else. But that's enough because the four, five, and six mana spells are just so powerful, and they are the thing that you want to be doing, and it is worth just getting there by any means necessary. I I mean, in 2000. 2005 Sakura Tribe Builder was the best green card in standard mm-hmm. and it's a very similar card to Prosperous Endgiver well but Elder gives you an extra mana for the rest of the game yeah I'm not saying Elders it's a different time the spells were also much worse back then yeah like they didn't take over the games by themselves right so like you you actually needed the land to last forever Whereas Innkeeper, you pick up, you slam your card down, and you're good to go, right? <laughs> yeah, we're all set. This is an Asika's Chariot. You better answer it. But I, I, I'm i a big fan of Prosperous Innkeeper. That card is really nice. Yeah. So as far as the kind of not-ramp board control-ish decks, so we mentioned Blood on the Snow briefly. I have been really impressed with Blood on the Snow generally. Certainly as long as people are playing storm the festival type decks you're really really happy being a blood on the snow deck because you you mess them up uh the more all runs epiphanies you play against the less delighted you are with your particular choice yeah (laughs) i i did play so i i picked up the and i think most of these decks come from the same place so uh kowalski posted a mono black list which is, so there's this core that we talked about a little bit last week that's like Shambling Ghast, Eye Twitch, Deadly Dispute, Blood on the Snow, and then like whatever Planeswalkers are in your colors. And you can kind of fit that into a few different color combinations, but honestly, like you can just straight up do it in mono black and you can run four Lolth Spider Queens and two Professor Onyxes and that is your like Blood on the Snow package and you just go really deep and I do owe an apology to Skullport Merchant in this particular <laughs> standard, you know, where Prosperous Innkeeper is great because it lets you cast your four early. This thing that lets you get card advantage against the control decks and also just if they kill it, it's fine. You get to cast your five or six a turn early. Like, I, I don't know that it has legs in a bigger standard, but in this standard, it's a completely acceptable magic card. It's the same way I feel about, like, the Teferi Celestis thing I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a horn turtle. Yeah. It's a horn turtle. I know. <laughs> but it's a horn turtle that comes with a treasure. It's a Sailor of Means. That was, like, I, yeah, one of the best I've blue I've played commons. with Sailor of Means before, <laughs> sadly, in standard. <laughs> and, and the card drawing is pretty relevant when you're playing against your worse matchups. So, you know, that's a, a nice thing for this card to be able to do. But, yes, I... I when the format is a little bigger, a little higher powered, I, I probably will no longer be casting these. I mean, especially since you've got the eye twitches and the pest tokens, mm-hmm. it's really easy to just get a bunch of stuff that you can sacrifice and not lose that much out on. Yeah. I, I mean, it is a legitimate card advantage engine that is slow and you have to pump mana into. So once the format is a little more powerful, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Like I, I, th- I talked about how I think it was last week that the black decks of old, the like mono black control decks or non blue control decks, used uh, treasure map mm-hmm. to like smooth out their draws and get card advantage. Yeah, because your your non blue deck does need some card advantage <laughs> thing if you're trying to play a long game like this deck is. Yeah, 
And it just happens Skullcourt Merchant is the card that does that. And Wolf. Wolf is actually a huge part of that. But you need more than just one other card. Yeah, I mean, this deck grinds in a really, really impressive way. Uh, you just kind of never run out of stuff to do. And uh, certainly you are tilted heavily towards beating the green on the board decks. It's so hard for even the aggressive decks to kill you through eye twitches and shambling ghasts. And all of a sudden you're like at five mana, you drop a loth, you make two spiders, they throw resources into killing it. And then you cast a blood on the snow and the game is just get, to get her back. Yeah. Done. Mm -hmm. we're, we're finished here. It, it has some like pretty good matchups, but when it runs up against the all Rinse epiphany stuff, like you mentioned, it looks embarrassing. Yeah. And so I was playing against a bunch of blue decks. Like I picked it up, played against like one green deck. And then I played against like nine blue decks in a row but they were, for the most part, kind of medium, grindy, like, grindy control, control decks. That their end game was just memory deluge, basically. No, no, I'm not interested. No, it wasn't. At, like I, I was beating them like very handily because they just, we were just going card for card, and eventually, like, I was just casting blood on the snow. You know, I'd cast a Planeswalker, they'd counter it. I'd cast a, a Blood on the Snow, they'd counter it. I'd cast a Blood on the Snow, get my Planeswalker, and then I was up cards at that point. And also the Meat Hook Masker is randomly good against this deck sometimes because they don't have easy ways to remove it. They just <laughs> nickels and dimes them the whole game. Yeah. I mean, you side it out, but for a your six sweepers in your main deck are not dead cards in like right, any exactly. matchup. Yeah. But yeah, if those blue decks were more focused, all runs epiphany decks, I think I just would have had really, really serious problems. And when I did run into, you know, the dragons decks were way scarier because if I didn't have a removal spell for a goldspan dragon, I, you know, I just felt dead. If they played it all, if they played a dragon and attacked, and then I was just like, I have to blood on this, know that, but they're gonna have a disdainful stroke, like you know you don't you don't win those games all right let's let's talk about your notes here i see sedgemore which sucks oh yeah uh the original list that kowalski posted had three sedgemore witches in it and then every list that i've seen also has three sedgemore witches in it and i just found the card to be wildly unplayable in every single uh matchup so i cut it pretty quickly i put in skyclave shades because i think that because I was playing against a lot of blue decks and it, you know, it seemed intended for that sort of thing. And I thought the Skyclave Shade was just better. But like your instants and sorceries are, you have 13, right? Four of them are blood in the snow. So that doesn't, <laughs> if getting a pest out of that doesn't matter. One is Hagra Mauling, which is a land 80% of the time. So the only actually like, you have a handful of removal spells, like three or four removal spells. And then you have Deadly Disputes and Hunt for Specimens. And those are actively good to cast when you have Sedgemore Witch in play. So you have like five spells that you want to cast with Sedgemore Witch in play. It's not a good card in this deck. It's mostly a 3-2 a with Menace. Yeah. And you have plenty of stuff. You only have three Skullport Merchants and three Deadly Disputes to sacrifice stuff to. And you have plenty of things to sacrifice between your Ghasts and Eye Twitches and Treasure Tokens. So... I, and Skyclave Shades if you were playing that. Yeah, if you replace that with a sacrifice fodder thing, then then you're golden. But even that, like, you know, I I, I made 
pests with Sedgemore Witches and then sacrifice them to a thing like once or twice over, you know, 20 matches. So it's not part of the engine of the deck in any way. Oh, also don't play Flunk in any of your decks or sideboards. That card is atrocious. It just, like, people have cards in their hand all the time, and Flunk is not a good enough removal spell. Just play a Power Word Kill or play an Infernal Grasp or just whatever lines up against what you're trying to kill. Like, we don't have indestructible stuff to take care of, so don't play Flunk. Yeah. <laughs> Flunk is kind of embarrassing because you have to do a whole math problem before you even figure out how much it's worth. <laughs> Which is, you know, flavorful. That's in line. I appreciate that. Yeah, before you fail, which is also flavorful. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, Galvanic Iteration Epiphany decks that are, like, really spell-heavy? Yes, I have. I'm interested to see where they go. It's very clear that, like, is it decks are a pillar of the format. Mm -hmm. But whether that is, like, a dragon-based Allrun's Epiphany deck or uh, a Galvanic Iteration version of the Epiphany deck kind of remains to be seen. My gut and, you know, my turn five fear every game tells me that you should be playing Goldspan Dragon because that card's hard to beat and it's really, really good in these decks. Yeah, I... Okay, I found a list in eighth place. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just of the... I think this is the Sunday challenge. Okay. Uh, but this is an, a zero creatures in the main deck. All is it spells. You're trying to Galvanic Iteration to copy an Aurens of Epiphany mm -hmm. and kill that way. Yeah. Like uh, with your birds and whatever lessons you get out of your sideboard with uh, Divide by Zero, which is kind of a remand that learns. Right. It's very odd that that card can't bounce tokens, but whatever. Well, <laughs> the tokens were such a big part of the Strixhaven format yeah. that they didn't want to give you that level of value out of it. Also, I don't think they foresaw this being a four of in standard but it is in a lot of decks now yeah and this and you just like win over a couple turns with your giant mascots plus the birds i kind of like where this deck is going mm -hmm. but i also agree with your premise that the gold spin track is very scary and it gives you a treasure which are also super treasures so why not <laughs> do that and just have your mana work better. Like treasures are a huge value. We were just talking about how good like the innkeeper is. Mm -hmm. Goldstone Dragon is like an expensive innkeeper, but it also <laughs> kills them. Pretty expensive innkeeper, yeah. It it kills them. And I like the ones the decks that play Smoldering Egg as well, which is the uh, thing in the ice mm -hmm. variant that flips into a different dragon that kills them really quickly. I just would prefer kind of these low effort creatures just make their way into this control deck so you don't have to work so hard for your wins like you can just make it easier for yourself yeah i think so and once you're putting battle of frost and fire into your deck to enable your like all run to, so that could be your sweeper and then you're enabling like your all runs epiphany combo that way you know because it's got some scrying and looting on there and stuff i don't think battle of frost and fire is a good enough card to play it, I've seen it be cast, I've seen it be fine, but, like, sweepers are kind of on life support as a card type in this format, just because of the problems of Felidar Retreat or Zika's Chariot being on the board. And then once you're also just not dealing with some of the premier stuff, like, Renin 7 comes down, makes a token, 
you cast Battle of Frost and Fire that same turn cycle, and you they still it have their 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. You kill their Ren and 7, but then they attack you for 5. Like, good luck winning that game. Like, if I'm playing a blue-red deck and I want to sweep red, I'd much rather play Burn Down the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, which leans, I guess, less hard into that. I'm going to dig really hard for my Epiphany or whatever. Because that's the only thing this deck's trying to dig for. Like, it's the only card in the deck. It's an all-spells deck. So you're just trying to get Epiphany almost every time. Yeah. I just make it easy. Just play creatures in your, your deck. You don't have to have one card be the entire linchpin of your strategy in a standard format, which is spooky. Uh, I mean, one thing that is really striking to me about these decks and i think is like a a huge missed opportunity is the tiny number of prismari commands that they're playing where like prismari command is just kind of excellent in a lot of spots and in on and is on plan in a very real way get yourself to your epiphany faster dig towards your epiphany you know and you can shock a creature kill an asikis chariot along the way But, like, all of the modes on Prismari Command are quite good in the standard, especially if you are the deck with the unbeatable endgame because you're casting Allruns Epiphany. Like, making those treasure tokens is really good. And I think uh, I've seen it, you know, one or two copies in the Dragon versions of the decks, and I do really love getting out Goldspan Dragon a turn early. So, I I just, I, you know, there's four memory deluges in this list. Like, make one of those a Prismari Command. Like, makes one of the other cards of Prismari. Get a couple in there. You you need so fewer memory deluges in the blue-red decks because you have Express Federation, mm-hmm. which is kind of this... It's not as good as memory deluge because it's, you know, less card selection, less raw cards. But it is half as much mana. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that counts for a lot when you're just trying to be efficient. I Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's probably... It's just really unlikely that the proper version of any of these decks is for expressive iteration for memory deluge. That's like a lot yeah, that, of... that's too much air. Like you just want stuff. You want to do things. Yeah. You don't want to spend your entire turns, multiple turns, just like looking for cards. Yeah. Also, like, I think it's completely acceptable to play a copy or two of the unsummon in these decks because you are just... Oh, the... Fade into... The newer one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you are just buying... I mean, obviously, like, you know, you're casting divinations and stuff, and you are trying to kind of control the game, but you do take over in a really real way with All Runs Epiphany. So you can spend a card to bounce a, a four or five drop. And also, a lot of times, you know, you're killing a token that way, like a five five tree folk token, and that's very acceptable. You get a scry out of that one, too. I'm looking at deck lists, and I don't know the interaction off the top of my head. Do you know how Smoldering Egg works with Kicker? Yeah, it counts the... It, it, you it counts you paid the it as spell. part of the cost, yeah. Okay, that's neat. Because they see a deck list with Into the Royal and some Smoldering Eggs. I'm like, I wonder if that works. Yep, I, I believe that it does. I don't know if Into the Royal is like what you want to do, but it is... I just saw it and it was curious. Yeah, I, I think Into the Royal is also fine. You have to kind of like look at how your turn sequences play out and if it's easier to double spell with uh, Fade Into whatever that thing is called with the unsummon yeah i mean i also don't like how this particular deck is constructed because it's got four consider four iteration four memory deluge so that's way too much air for me (laughs) but i mean you do want to get to i have my lands in play i am casting all runs epiphany but 
I just feel like Gold's Band Dragon is such a good way of getting there. Oh, this deck also has Gold's Band Oh, okay, that is a dragon But it, it also has a million, a million cantrips as well. I also think it's funny that the dragons decks haven't quite figured out their mix of dragons yet. Like, how many Smoldering Eggs, how many Galazeth Prismaris, uh, how many, you know, like, like you want the four gold spend dragons if you're doing dragon stuff, but... The answer that, is zero Galazeth Prismari, because that card is extremely underwhelming. Yeah. Like, it, it's just not that good against anything anymore, especially with the prevalence of Ren 7. Mm-hmm. Like, it's embarrassed by Tree Folk. Just embarrassed. Yeah, I mean, the... Part of your plan can be, I can allow Ren and Sevens to resolve because I have ways of killing the Tree Folk and then I just need a flying attacker to kill the Ren and Seven, but it's also just easier to plan to disdainful yeah. stroke the Ren and Seven. Right, and Galazeth Prismari is the worst one. Mm-hmm. Like, Smoldering Egg and Goldspin Dragon are both a lot better. Uh, Goldspin Dragon because it has haste and makes a bunch of mana. Smoldering Egg because you can just play it and forget about it and it eventually does its thing. Galzoth Prismari is like a summoning sick version of those cards. And it's yeah. I, I have seen it in play a few times and it just hasn't impressed. You don't really use the mana super well. Like you do use it, but it's not incredible, you know? Yeah. And I, I have been really happy with Smoldering. Well, I mean, I've been really impressed by Smoldering. I haven't been playing it that much, but it's been good against me with various decks. Uh, I, it's better than I thought it would be. And I was like a six out of 10 on the card or something. I, I was hopeful for it, but didn't expect it to be that great, but it is impressed me. And, and just like both Goldspan dragon and egg are so incredible with all runs epiphany that I, I do like these decks with those dragons in them as epiphany decks better than the, all my deck is, is an all runs epiphany deck. Galvanic. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think we're on the same page. Dragons, a plus, uh, mostly cause they're just so good. They're just good standalone cards. And I mean, if your argument is, I, I don't accept the argument that like All Runs Epiphany is a stronger deck than Dragons plus All Runs Epiphany. I can accept the argument that there's so many Infernal Grasps running around and everybody is so prepared to just kill a creature for two mana that I would rather play a deck without creatures that die to Infernal Grasp. But I don't believe that that is true at the moment, so I, I don't think it's I also, justifiable. I don't, I don't think these decks are constructed in such a way that makes that reasonable either, because your only creature is going to be birds or whatever you get from your lessons in your sideboard. So they're just going to remove your birds if you never cast a lesson <laughs> that makes a token, and then you you have to go for more birds, like, or you have Hall of the Storm Giants, which has Ward Four, Ward Three. Something like that. Mm-hmm. But they'll just kill it. They'll pay the cost. Because they've got dead removal spells in their hand. Yeah, maybe. So, like, uh, there is, like, a cost even with deading their removal spells and that you still have to win with creatures. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Oh, one of the reasons, if you're going to do a Blood on the Snow deck, one of the other reasons that I really, really like Mono Black over other Blood in the Snow decks is that you get to run your Fields of Ruin. So you get to your lands are just so good. It's snow covered swamps, four faceless havens, a couple of the beholder land, and field of ruins. And then field of ruin is so good against opposing man lands, which every deck has. So if you're doing blood on the snow and you believe that that is good, 
you need a very, very good and specific reason to play another color in your deck, I believe. Because the black cards do almost everything. You need to identify, like, oh man, I just, like, terribly need Disdainful Stroker Test of Talents, and so I'll do that. Or I really, really badly need Vanishing Verse or you know, Binding the Old Gods or whatever for specific reasons. But I haven't identified those reasons to need those cards yet, so... So just sticking with the classic mono black. It just feels and good. And having goldfish label it as Golgari midrange. Because there's a black <laughs> a green card and a hybrid green card in the sideboard. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Let's see. What else about standard? We already went went over being unimpressed by general control decks. I guess at least this Teferi who slows the sunset deck is an all runs epiphany deck. See, I so Teferi Who Slows the Sunset is a card I like, but I think it's weaker than just generally being a dragon deck, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I haven't played any of like the Teferi Who Slows the Sunset more heavy control style decks because, A, like if you're playing him in a ramp deck, I like how Batutna approaches that better anyway, just like with mana creatures. If you're playing him in a control deck, you still have to play some sort of artifact mana. Like this uh, 15th place one by Gurum plays a Strixhaven Stadium, which I think is both worse than the Celestos <laughs> and just super weird to read. Like it, it's just basically when you cast All Runs Epiphany, you're winning when you would win with damage. Yeah. But way complicated. Yeah, it's got a bunch <laughs> of lines to let you pretend you're playing a football game. And it doesn't produce colored mana like the Celestos does. Mm hmm. Or at least I believe it does. I'm not a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. The Celestis produces any color of mana. Strix Seven Stadium, only colorless. <laughs> so that's that's kind of a knock against your three mana mana rock already. Yeah. God, there's multiple decks in the start playing Strix Seven Stadium. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> Have they read the Celestis? It does the same thing except for it draws cards and gains life. Yeah, that's <laughs> I I wonder how many games have actually been won. By the With alternate the wincon on Strixhaven Stadium. Like, that's the only reason. You have to believe that that's really relevant. Like, extremely relevant because it makes colorless mana over, multi over mana of any color. Like, you have to believe that that is good in your deck. I I mean, I guess, so I, So say, if you're untapping it with Teferi Who Slows the Sunset and Wrathing, you know, you're getting two counters on it that turn. <laughs> so you yeah but you have to hit with a creature in order to win the game you can't just like passively put 10 counters on it right so you do need I, to cast all runs epiphany at some point yes but the problem i have with that kind of setup is that you're casting all runs epiphany and trying to win anyway right uh that sounds like a lot of other decks that have better backup plans and also, it'd be pretty embarrassing to have your Strixhaven Stadium on 10 and they just throw a Shatter at it because they've got some. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I definitely would lean towards the Celestis if you really want to be doing this stuff. But I also don't really want to be doing this stuff. So I would rather... Yeah, not not either. If you want to do Who Slows the Sunset stuff, the ninth place list I was talking about earlier with uh, Huntmaster is a lot better, I think. Just because untapping mana creatures is a big part of what Teferi can do as well. I was about to say, listen, I've played control decks without expressive iteration versus decks with expressive <laughs> it, But that's actually not true. I've only been on the expressive iteration side 
of of those blue matchups in you know historic and standard you do not want to not be the expressive iteration deck in in those heads up matches like it feels atrocious yeah you'll laugh at their frost boil snarl then you'll play your deserted beach and then he'll lose to express iteration yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah it's just so good in these matchups that like you can't make up for it with any amount of nonsense out of like a blue white deck um i think that's kind of all the different stuff i've seen in standard those are the, like most all of the represented archetypes across the two challenges and what i've been seeing like in random streams and stuff yeah uh, i guess a vampire's <laughs> deck made ninth place of one of the challenges as like an outlier mm-hmm. but for the most part it's like blood on the snow decks all of the epiphany decks with or without dragons ramp decks that are green and doing fellow retreat stuff or non fellow retreat stuff mm-hmm. and then like people trying to do blue white control and mono green aggro and stuff like that yeah and i think other stuff will pop up over time i mean the pillars are definitely all runs epiphany green decks that are on the board decks that are casting blood on the snow and mono green aggro as opposed to like you know really big green decks that are on the board those are the main pillars at the moment other stuff will pop up uh and i i am <clears throat> curious to see i know like zan is really high on delver and he's gotten it to a place that like he likes playing it uh and is pretty high on, you know pretty high mythic or whatever with it i don't know that it gets there but you know that's the type of deck that could really throw a wrench into this format where like if it's good it can be good against a lot of this stuff so i'm excited to see where that stuff goes and excited to work on some of these things i i haven't watched zan any i've seen his deck list he's been posting i am curious how he's been playing against mono green i think there's that one seems rough not a ton of mono green at high mythic but yeah I, i think that it it is a little bit rough I, us. Like I, I look at the saturday challenge and see a million mono green decks and then i look at zan's deck and i'm like oof sedgemore i don't know about this one sedgemore which is really good against the mono green decks and i can believe that so yeah. that like that's i think that's a big part of the plan there but yes when you're casting like suspicious stowaway on the draw against mono green uh <laughs> you're in for a time potentially uh so should briefly touch on modern just kind of going to talk about how i'm going to approach getting ready for modern for the invitational i don't think it's a super useful approach to modern to try to figure out what the best deck is and like give yourself the possibility of choosing between any of the like 15 good decks in modern because number one i don't enjoy playing all of the decks in modern (laughs) and it's really i think really silly to show up to a tournament that you don't enjoy playing and number two, I, I just like they're not all within my range and I can't get the experience and reps with like enough of them that when the week of the tournament rolls around and I identify what's going on in the format, I can pick the absolute best deck, in my opinion, for modern. So definitely going to, you know, kind of limit my purview here and early testing going to try to like really grind down. And, and figure out like which decks just I kind of suck with or suck to play and just make sure to not worry about those too much and try to identify just a couple that I want to make sure to have ready in my back pocket. Uh, the stuff that I'm looking at 
immediately right now that I want to make sure that I like have the reps with and know how to build based on what the format is looking like. Living End has top aided like every single modern challenge since Modern Horizons 2. Uh, it's also one several yes. of them. <laughs> and I am completely happy to play that deck. And I have won with this version a fair bit. And so that's going to stay on my radar unless something really tragic happens to the format and shuts it down completely. Yeah. I do you want to keep going? Look like you're uh, no, you get more to say. I mean, I was just gonna like keep listing decks, but you know, just like also Hammer Time and Merc Tide. And I think those are my main decks that I wanna like make sure to keep an eye on, and then kind of like whichever one of those is the best by the time the invitational is here, very likely to be playing one of those decks. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. I, I would consider a few, like if I were not me, like if I were just giving someone advice to play in the tournament, I would say there's several different piles to choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cascade decks are the ones I'd be looking at first, I think. Mm-hmm. Living End and Rhinos are both really, really good. Uh, you can look, They have different play styles, so pick one up that looks interesting and play it. Like the Rhinos one's a little more... I'm playing a real game of magic type of deal, whereas living on in, you can't really pretend that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like more generically powerful. I generally prefer living end. Uh, the Zoomer Jund, which is the Renin Six, every expensive card in Modern Horizons. Yes. And Modern Horizons 2. Just sort of modern into a deck. legal Skyfall cards by price, and you mostly have it there. That's one, like two or three challenges. It's a really good deck. Uh, Philip played it in the last modern tournament that i saw just borrowing some cards and made it to the finals and lost because though i think this deck is really really good it's just a very very good fair magic deck one of the better ones Mm -hmm. it does have weaknesses to just being a generic mid-range deck Mm -hmm. because which means like what philip lost to was heart and scales which is a deck he had no access to compete with at all (laughs) like it's just a a deck that shrugs off removal keeps on trucking and gets this gigantic board he can do nothing about sure uh, hard skills is actually one of the decks i'm considering playing at the invitational because of the prevalence of zoomer jund mm-hmm. uh, and philip helped me realize how just miserable that match is because <laughs> <laughs> i know a lot of people really love that zoomer jund style of magic or just jund in general just mid-range magic yep and i want to capitalize on that at some point while playing a pretty fun deck i really enjoy hard and seals personally though i don't think it's like a, a slam dunk like good deck in the format you know yeah it, it's just a solid deck you got to be careful be aware of what's going on at any time and you know like if there's combo-y stuff going on you don't really want to be hard in skills but there isn't combo-y stuff going on right now so might yeah, the closest thing is like living end and mm-hmm. having a million sacrifice outlets to get living ends not the worst you gotta yeah I have traditionally brought in Leyline of the Void against Arcbound Ravager decks. The current versions of Living End do not play Leyline of the Void, so there's a certain amount of weakness there. I guess it's probably like mostly how many Force of Vigors are in the format is like the main consideration yeah. with Arden Scales. And that's still pretty high. Mm-hmm. So uh, other decks you could generically consider it to be the is it merc Tide decks mm-hmm. those are just really strong they've fallen off a bit recently you don't see them in like all the top eights everywhere and all the challenges 
Uh, but they're still just generically good blue tempo decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burn is doing really well recently. That's a solid deck. I would not play Mill. I know the deck's online here and there. Top 8's most challenges. Uh, but it's a deck that I think a lot of people could play in a tournament and only a handful would do well with. Sure. I just don't think it's... I don't want to say it's an inconsistent deck, but it has a lot of inconsistent factors like in matchups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can just run into terrible matchups that's very possible to have happen. and it's really hard to just outplay them you know like you're you're playing mill you don't have a lot of wiggle room right yeah yeah for sure oh another deck on the list that i think i will keep a kind of continuous eye on during the testing process and uh try to make myself capable with it in case it is the right choice is elementals yeah thank you i was i was gonna say that one too <laughs> I, I, the deck is really good and has a bunch of like 80 percent matchups so it's just all it's very similar to zoomer jund where you're just playing a million good incredibly strong cards for modern horizons 2 mm-hmm. <laughs> plus omnath locust creation which is a real workhorse in that deck yeah it it just has a lot of incredibly powerful synergies nobody can grind you out realistically uh, a bunch of like you know if somebody shows a bunch of like random modern decks of your and stuff things that people could just show up with if you just run into them it's just stronger than them if somebody puts like a champion of the parish into play like you're just stronger than them and you will beat them because your cards are so powerful and just like massively snowball in ways that a lot of decks cannot keep up with and you get to play mole drifter <laughs> you do get to play mole drifter I, like, did you see? Okay, so time out for Wall Drifter. Talk for a second here. Did you see Waffle Top? I think he five zero. Yeah, his reanimator uh, list. Reanimator list, just four Wall Drifters in yes. it. Yes, like that's the best thing you can persist back. Well, he's not playing unmarked grave because you see, Waffle Topa will never two for one himself, so <laughs> he can't register unmarked grave. Just like he can't register Force of Negation in any of his control decks. <laughs> it's simply card disadvantage, which is not allowed. He's allergic. So his reanimator deck doesn't play Unmarked Grave. So you got to find something and just uh, put some Moldrifters in there. It's fine. If you evoke Moldrifter, then draw up to eight cards in hand mm-hmm. somehow, which is likely since you're Waffle Top. <laughs> you can discard an Archon to hand size. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you do. You got your Mending. You know, Esper Reanimator, that's a thing. I will not be paying too much attention to it, probably, unless it, like, really does some stuff to impress me in the meantime. Yeah, I. it's a deck I'm aware of, but it hasn't done well yet, as of this recording. Mm-hmm. So I'm not... Uh, it's a deck I like, conceptually, but, like, any deck with Unmarked Grave, you have to really, yeah, you know, mean it. Yeah, I don't want to go to. I don't want to roll to a tournament where I'm trying to cast unmarked grave and then not have some gigantic edge over my opponent. You know, right? And I'm not trying to do that, right? Like, I'm not trying to break modern. Like, people have played enough matches of modern both over the years and since MH2 have come out that like I don't think I'm smarter than everybody else. Like, I don't think I have anything particularly new to bring to the table. What I can do is get as good as I possibly can with a deck that I know is good and have a 75 that I feel confident in going into the tournament. And 
I'm pretty fine with committing to one of the tier one decks and trying to show up with the best version of that that I I can make happen. Uh, I'm not trying to come up with something new and modern. Like it just seems like a, the odds that I'm wasting my effort trying to get there are extremely high. There's there's only four decks I'm really considering for the modern for the invitational mm-hmm. out of all of modern. Yeah. Uh, that's Hammer Time. I think that's incredibly good. Really fun. Uh, the elementals deck we were just talking about because it's, it's technically a mid-range deck but you're doing so much stuff with so little mana it doesn't really feel like that yeah, a mid-range deck with like a combo turn that what it does is accumulate value and clear their board but it's still you know it's not playing tarmogoyfs or whatever yeah you play omnath and you play like 10 mana worth of spells yeah or you risen reef and you you know evoke an elemental and destroy them <laughs> Uh, Harden Scales, like I mentioned, just because I I like that deck. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it shows up every now and then. Like there's, I think this is the Saturday challenge. It might be the Sunday one. They're not labeled. Got ninth place in a deck I think is not built the way I'd like it to. There's several card choices I disagree with entirely, mm-hmm. and that's heartening to me. Which means that the just general core is good. And the fourth deck I would consider is like an oddball. Casey Lancaster's been posting a lot of eggs decks on Twitter. <laughs> and by eggs, I mean like open the vaults, fate's reward, draw your entire deck and loop pirates blah bomb at the end of it. Yeah. With conjurer's bobble. And if you have to pause the podcast to look up every single card I mentioned, don't worry about it. It's not that important. <laughs> they're they're just the deck- six mana versions of effects that we had a deck that paid three or four mana for those spells and, and had to get banned out of modern. Well, I believe when Sifka won that Pro Tour, Second Sunrise was the only card that did that. It was just Sunrise and Open the Vaults. Oh, okay. There was no Fates for a Word yet. That was in a later course of Sure. And Sifka didn't have access to Urza Saga or Zurin Orb. That's true. Which are both incredibly good cards <laughs> in that style of strategy. Uh, that one, that one's a dark horse. I I would just be playing it because I want to, not that I think it's a good choice or anything. And I'm just willing to do that at the Invitational because that's I'm just playing the turn to have fun, you know. Right, and let's <laughs> you and Philip want to win. That's fine. You can do that. I'm just gonna be over here taking my ten minute turns while everyone stares daggers at me as the clock is twenty minutes over the round. <laughs> right, and my if I'm like preparing my odds sheet. Like the weight that I'm giving, like the chance that Lee plays eggs versus like, I think it's about even that you play eggs or you play like any of the other decks. It's like 50% eggs, 50% everything else put together. So yeah, that that's reasonable. That That's kind of how it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, eggs might be even higher. <laughs> Not the most surprising thing I've ever heard. No, I, the thing is, it's just kind of Casey playing it in MTGO leagues. And that is, well, I mean, Casey's a great player, but MTGO leagues are not incredible, you know, training grounds. Yes. It's not the height of competition at all times. Just people play modern games. And Casey is a really strong player. So, you know, a lot of the deck doing well. Although, you know, you would also play the deck at I at the same level that Casey is playing yeah, it at. Yeah, so. but I wouldn't be I would be playing them against Casey's and not against like the average metal yeah. opponent, right? Yeah. At the invitational. Yep, yep, yep. Cuz you have to qualify for the start of it. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not 
I've got to be in the lower percentage or the upper percentage of people at the Invitational just willing to play random crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are mostly going to be playing... As if you win a round, a couple of rounds in Standard, you're going to be playing against all Tier 1 decks. And, you know... I, actually, I don't even know which one is first, but you're you're generally going to be playing against all fine versions of good decks piloted by reasonable players. Yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to play nonsense, but I don't think most people are <laughs> i'm not i unless something really special happens i'm not going to be playing nonsense which is mostly helped along by the fact that living end is no longer counted as nonsense and is legitimately <laughs> like one of the five best decks in the format that's a good feeling right I, you know i don't mind it i really enjoy that play style meanwhile i'm playing a deck that's got considering playing a deck that's gotten like <laughs> four bands <laughs> maybe nine if you count the artifact lands kci really was an eggs deck so you can count like the kci bands as like you know oh i, I am okay. i mean when, when the last time i played eggs like actual eggs mm -hmm. i played car clan ironworks in sure. it before scrap trailer came out yeah because it's just really easy you just makes a million mana yep. don't have to work very hard for it well i on the bright side very few stony silences and modern so you don't really need to worry about those yeah that's a draw for uh, hardened scales as well mm -hmm. the like graveyard hate artifact hate dichotomy where you got to pick one or the other is uh the needle is heavily weighted towards bring your graveyard hate so in a, a post mox opal world yeah, and the fact that like there's delve cards out the wazoo with Merc Tide plus the living end stuff. And, and, and there's just a lot of reasons to play Graveyard Hate. Faithless Mending now. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm not sure how big of a splash Faithless Mending will be. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it's shown up, don't get me wrong. I see it all the time on modern streams, especially when watching Spike. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's at least encouragement to like all right i'll main deck this nile spell bomb in my urza saga deck or whatever yeah yeah exactly but i haven't seen faithless mending quite break through to the like having a bunch of representation and challenges mm -hmm. as of yet sure granted there's only been like a pair of challenges for minestrad yeah and i think mending is tough to build around you can't just take the 56 cards around faithless suiting and put mending in it like there's a lot more work to be done to make faithless mending a card or faithful yeah. mending i don't know what this card is called just call it whatever i don't care <laughs> as long as you're saying mending you could say whatever yes. yeah generally that's my approach uh i don't like you know not gonna break modern i'm gonna pick from this small list of decks i'm gonna try to be competent with as many of them as possible and have good understandings of how to build them given different like contextual situations that can arise so that when the last week comes along, I can make a determination of what deck to play, how to build it, and feel comfortable with it. So that's my quest for the next couple of weeks, is to get there in modern. As far as standard goes, you know, I understand the pillars. I'm going to be playing it. I'm going to keep an eye out for world's results. I think there is a chance that there is stuff that has not been unlocked in standard yet and may not be unlocked publicly by that time. So if I you know, stumble on anything or anybody's working on something and comes and talks to me, I am perfectly willing to be convinced that we can break this standard. I, I, I think it's pretty possible. So we'll we'll yeah, see what comes up. I think up. that's entirely reasonable. Like I said, this standard right now is just pretty generic. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a lot of nuance into the deck building as, as of right now. Like the closest we've gotten is 
me complaining about people playing Strixhaven Stadium with Teferi. <laughs> if I mean, if the whole format is based around people like throwing away cards to make treasures so that they can cast their fours and fives, like that's an exploitable conceptual metagame. <laughs> And even if you're just exploiting it by like, I'm just going to play four disdainful strokes in my deck because every good card in the format gets countered by this spell. You know, there are edges to be gained. Yeah, that's a good place to start. I, I, I'll i keep up with you and Philip as you're, you're tested, but I am almost hard locked on something that plays Allruns Epiphany, mm-hmm. like in whatever form that takes. Because it, it would be very tough for me to imagine a place we get to in the format where Auron's Epiphany is not among the top strategies. Yeah. Like in whatever form it takes. Uh, yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Like this is the main over the top card in the format right now. And you can't really go bigger than time walks. I really appreciate that it is this and not emergent ultimatum for Auron's <laughs> Epiphany and two other cards because that really sucked. Uh, I have beaten resolved Auron's Epiphanies before and you don't really do that with ultimatum so but yeah pick up your uh all runs epiphanies right now they're less than 10 bucks a piece and seems not super likely that they stay cheap if people actually start playing standard then maybe it just will be that price for a while because people aren't actually playing paper standard at all so call time was one of the most overprinted sets Mm, interesting (laughs) that people couldn't really move Stores couldn't move them because people weren't buying them. But there's so much product out there. Like, I can't imagine the price of that card or any card in call time goes up that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I'm checking gold. Plus, gold spend dragons. Dragon. Keeping a lot of that one. It's like 40 bucks or something. It's, yeah. I'm seeing like these promo versions for cheaper, but I think they probably just don't actually like exist. Those are probably like fake numbers. Cause yeah, like the regular gold spend dragons are like $45. So Goldspin Dragon is going to be like the the wallet cruncher for here. Yeah. If I have to play a, a Goldspin Dragon deck, which I likely will. Guess I should have picked that one up a while back, but I just wasn't. I just didn't buy any cards at all. There's no way to tell how long the pandemic would last. I've never had one before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably should have just assumed the worst from the very beginning. But man, we had no idea. We were like little babies. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Anyway, I guess we can wrap. Yeah. So just some general breakdowns of those formats and and how I'm going to be approaching my start on trying to take them apart. Uh, I will keep updated with processes. I have. It's been a while since I've prepared for a tournament, and I am trying to kind of go more focused and organized on this one than I've kind of done for any tournament ever before. So you know. Philip and I have a Google Doc and we are going to be splitting up work that needs to be done and uh, splitting up exploration of lists and stuff like that. And so I'm going to try to like keep updates going on like the progression of that and what's working for us and what isn't. So uh, hopefully can share just kind of what we're learning along the way, both about the formats and about like the processes that we're trying to apply so that should be fun I'm, I'm really excited about this yeah i hope you find the standard deck you enjoy playing yeah honestly because there's nothing worse than playing a tournament with a deck you think is good but you don't really enjoy playing and then you lose the first round and you're like god damn it what am i doing yes. what, what am i doing here i know that i love casting blood on the snow 
but I know <laughs> that I will not enjoy myself if All Runs Epiphany is a very significant part of the good decks in the format. So, uh, yes. You really got to pick your spot. Got to pick your spot. There may be a version of a Blood on the Snow deck that knows what it's about and can deal with the All Runs Epiphany decks. So that may be a, a way of exploring because you are so good just by having Blood in the Snow and Planeswalkers in your deck against the, I'm doing stuff Three on the decks. board, I have yeah. Storm the Festival in my deck. Uh, so the the next step may be trying to find a way to optimize versus All Runs Epiphany. I saw a version that was splashing for Test of Talents, and that may be just kind of like, okay, this helps solve that. We'll see. Yeah, I've seen some Test of Talents here and there, not in huge numbers. Because I guess if you're if your main leak is against the spell, you don't have to care too much about like all the auxiliary stuff, right? And you're like, you can beat Goldspan Dragons, you can like chump it with Eye Twitch until you find a removal spell, and like if that's the main way they're dealing damage, like you can take some hits off of Goldspan Dragon. They have a lot of mana, but you're like that mana advantage doesn't always matter that much in that matchup. So eh. I guess there is a fireball in the format now, though. I wonder if I could fit that in somewhere. <laughs> Oh, the one with like planeswalker flash counters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's mostly a fireball, like Banefire esque. Yeah. But yeah, I, technically, I guess it has a weird flashback. It's, I mean, that's the main thing I think of every time I think of the card. Even though the text is quite good, you get an extra damage when you're hitting a creature or a planeswalker. So it's like okay when you're not blazing them out of the game with it. Yeah. It's a. Uh... I like I like me a good devil's play. This card's not quite devil's play. Yeah. But it's much better on turn one and two than devil's play, so. Way it's playable on turn yeah. one. Anyways, yeah, I think that's it for us. I think I think we're all set. Cool. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, thanks everybody so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye, everyone.